Welcome to the CISSP Cyber Training Podcast, where we provide you the training and tools you need to pass the CISSP exam the first time. Hi, my name is Sean Gerber, and I'm your host for this action-packed, informative podcast. Join me each week as I provide the information you need to pass the CISSP exam and grow your cybersecurity knowledge. All right, let's get started. Hey, I'm Sean Gerber with CISSP Cyber Training, and I hope you all are having a great day today. Today is CISSP Question Thursday, so we are going to be going over CISSP questions related to domain four. So yeah, we're pretty excited about that, and this is the follow-on to what we have from the podcast that occurs on Monday with uh, the various domains that we're having. So this one will be over domain four because Monday's was over domain four. And so we're going to kind of get into various aspects of IPv4, V6, IGMP, ICMP, and ARP, ARP routing tables. So yeah, just some questions around those. But before we do, I, again, one of the things that popped up in the news, just saw this this morning, and it's actually, again, quite disturbing. The fact that there was another wastewater service plant that was attacked with ransomware, uh, one in the United States and one in the UK. Uh, this one is Veola, Veola, V-E-O-L-I-A, Veola, North America and United States and Southern Water in the United Kingdom. Both hit a ransomware attacks and had some relative, had some data breaches associated with it. The bad thing is obviously is wastewater treatment plants may seem benign, but unfortunately we all need them because we all use the restroom and therefore we need that to be clean, right? So if they have problems and you can't use the restroom anymore, then yeah, it becomes a bit of a problem. So hitting them with ransomware attacks, I know there has been various groups that have been targeting the critical infrastructure, and this is a no different than before. I'd say just in this past year, this is the probably the seventh or eighth one that I've seen of that's actually hit either wastewater treatment facilities or water treatment facilities of some kind. Um, now, right now at this point, no ransomware group has taken attack or credit for the attack. And it's, they service about, let's see, what does it say? About 2.5 million customers is the one that services in the United States. And then the one in England is about 4.7 million in South of England. So it's obviously ramping up substantially what's going on. They said they stole about 750 gigs of files, obviously with personal information and corporate documents. And that's to be expected almost in these types of events. But uh, the bigger issue that I see is not necessarily the stealing of data, which is a bad deal, right? We we don't want people's personal information stolen. uh, But like the mother of all breaches that occurred uh, last week or earlier this week. Um, I just expect your stuff is out there. But the bigger issue is the fact that they, if they have any sort of control over these wastewater treatment facilities, uh, having remote control, remote access to them is a very dangerous aspect. And we really are hopeful that something will come of this where there's maybe some, I don't, I don't want legislation, believe me, I really don't. But if that may be what's required to get some of these actions taken. Um, but this is hard already on an overly strained cybersecurity group of people trying to ensure that this stuff gets secured and managed correctly. But so that's about all I've got for that. So let's roll into the CISSP exam questions and we're going to talk about domain four. 
And you can go to CISSP Cyber Training and you can get access to this these questions along with a plethora of many other questions that are all available for you. Now, again, trying to reaffirm the fact that these questions are not questions you will exactly see on the ISC squared CISSP exam. That is not the case. These questions are designed to help you understand what they're actually asking. And that's the purpose of these questions is to get you thinking like a security a manager, a security leader that can then, when a, something happens in your organization, you make decisions based on it. Okay, so let's roll into question number one. What is the primary reason for subnetting in IPv4 networks? Okay, what is the primary reason for subnetting in IPv4 networks? A, enhanced security. B, efficient IP address allocation. C, improved routing or D, faster data transfer? Again, the primary reason for subnetting in IP4 networks, and the answer is B, efficient IP address allocation. This allows for organizations to optimize address space usage and manage networks more effectively. Question two, in IPv6, what is the purpose of a link local address? In IPv6, what is the purpose of a link local address? A, global internet communication. B, communication with the same subnet. C, multicast group membership. Or D, experimental testing. Again, the purpose of a link local address. And it is B, communication with the same subnet. Link local addresses are in IPv6 are specifically designed for communications within the same subnet. And this can be done through the link local address to communicate without the need for a globally unique address. Okay, these are automatically configured and are not routable beyond the local subnet. So that is the purpose of a link local address. Question three, what is which IP class is used uses a standard default subnet of 255.255.0.0? Again, what is the default subnet? Which IP class, your ABCD, right? will use the default subnet of 255.0.0. And the answer is B. Okay, there's A, B, C, D, right? Class A, B, C, and D. The answer is B, class B. A class B networks have the default subnet mask of 255.255.0.0. Basically, the first two octets are reserved for the network portion, and the last two are available for the host addresses. So again, this we talked about this before. It's for medium-sized businesses. Um, class A are more are much larger, and C are more restrictive in size. Question four: Which ICMP message type is commonly used for network troubleshooting by sending an echo request? Which ICMP message type is commonly used for networking tr- for network troubleshooting by sending an echo request? A destination unreachable. B, redirect message. C, echo message or echo request slash reply or D, time exceeded. So which ICMP message is commonly used for network troubleshooting by sending an echo request? And the answer is C, echo request slash reply. The ICMP echo request, I can't say it, request slash reply is often referred to as the ping, right? That's what we talk about was a ping. You ping in something, you send a ping to it. Okay, this request message sends the the recipient response to the echo reply. This process helps determine the reachability of the host and the round trip time for the data to travel from the source to the destination and back. 
That's the purpose of it. Question five, which version of the IGMP introduces source-specific multicask, allowing precise control over group membership? Which version of the IGMP introduces source-specific multicast, allowing precise control over group membership? A, IGMP version 1. B, IGMP version 2. C, IGMP version 3. And D, IGMP version 4. Which version of IGMP introduces source-specific multicast, allowing precise control over group membership? And the answer is C, IGMP version 3. Is it improved over other previous versions because it includes source-specific multicast? This allows the host to specify the sources from which they want to receive the multicast traffic from. And it does provide more granular control over group memberships. It's, it's particularly useful in scenarios where precise control over multicast communication is necessary. Question number six. What is the primary function of a ARP or of ARP address resolution protocol? Okay, so what is the primary function of ARP? A, map IP addresses to MAC addresses. B, assign IP addresses. C, establish secure connections. Or D, and manage multicast group memberships. What is the primary purpose of ARP address resolution protocol? And the answer is A, MAP addresses to MAC addresses. We talked about this before. IP addresses to MACs is what the purpose of the ARP protocol is for, the ARP routing tables. The MAC address is when a device needs to communicate with another one on the same subnet, it uses ARP to discover the MAC address associated with the IP address. Question seven, what does CIDR stand for? Classful Internet Domain Routing, A. B, Centralized Internet Design and Routing, C, controlled internet dynamic routing, or D, classless interdomain routing. What does CIDR stand for? And the answer is D, classless interdomain routing. CIDR is, is a method by which to use to allocate and specify IP addresses in their routing behavior, and it allows for more flexible and efficient allocation of IP addresses. The notation that you'll see typically with the CIDR addresses is slash 8, 16, 24, and so forth. That is indicates the number of bits used for the network portion of the address. Question 8. Which address... 192.168.1.1 belongs to which class? A, class A, B, class C, D, C, class B, or D, class D? Hmm, mixed it up a bit. Which address uh, 192.168.1 belongs to which one? And 192.168.1.1 belongs to class C. Class C addresses are commonly used for small networks, and that is where it falls in that range for the class C address, 192.168. Okay, so question nine. What is the CIDR equivalent of the subset subnet mass 255.255.255.192? And then, so this is going to be what is the equivalent of that? So let's kind of break that out. A slash 26, B slash 25, C slash 24, or D slash 23. So what is the CIDR equivalent of the subnet mask 255, 255, 255, 192? And it is slash 26. So in this case, the subnet mask of what we talked about, 3255, so 192, has 26 bits dedicated to the network portion, making it equivalent to a slash 26. Now, if you're going to look at the as we talk about this, one thing to kind of put into perspective is 
those other examples that I gave you, 22 slash 24, 25, 26, 27. So to put it, if you're seeing this on the video, you can see this, go to CISSP Cyber Training, you can see the video of it, or I'll just kind of walk you through it on the podcast piece of this. But a slash 27 would be, your subnet mask would be a 255, 3255.224. That would be a slash 27 because that has five bits, okay? So that's total IP addresses would be 32. Now, when you're dealing with the slash, the dot 192, that's a slash 26 because there's six bits. And that is a, there's 64 IP addresses that are tied to that. Now, when you get a slash 25, it's the 255, but then it gets to the dot 128, and that's your slash 25, and your IP address gives you 128 different uh, IP addresses that you can utilize it. And then a slash 24, your slash 24 would be your 255, 255, 255.0, that's your eight bits, and that would give you 256 IP addresses. So basically, as you're getting down to the, when you move up in your your CIDR notation of 20, slash 24 all the way up to 20 slash 27 you obviously your your amount of ip addresses goes down as you go up so again just think about it in the fact if it's a slash 24 you're going to get the full 256 as you go up in the slashes you're going to end up getting less of your ip addresses that are available to you and i see the slashes less of the the cider notation okay question 10 in ipv6 which address range is reserved for multicast Okay, in IPv6, which address range is reserved for multicast? A, 128.0.0.02.191.255.255.255.255. Okay, I'm not, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'll go through these, but you, you guys will all fall over asleep when you hear all me talking 255 all the time. So then it's gonna be basically 128.0 to 191.255 and then on. The next one is 192.0 to 223.255. The next one is 224.0 to 239.255. And then the next one is 240.0 to 255 on. Okay, so we know the 255.on, just throw that out. That isn't going to work. But when we're dealing with IPv6, which address range is reserved for multicast, in the IPv6, so we didn't, I'm not giving you IPv6 IP addresses. I'm basically giving you a IPv4. But when you're dealing with multicast, IPv6, like IPv4, to designate specific ranges for the multicast. The IPv6 ranges are is from 224.0 to 239.255. These are used for efficient one-to-many communications with specific group of hosts. Question 10. A security analyst is reviewing the IPv6 address scheme for a new network segment. They notice that several devices have the same addresses starting with FE Foxtrot Echo 80 colon colon. What is the security concern does this raise? Okay, so you have several devices that have the IP address starting with FE 80. A, these devices are vulnerable to man-in-the-middle attacks. B, these devices are using private addresses and cannot access the internet. C, these devices are likely to be rogue or unauthorized. Or D, these devices are configured for static addressing and may not receive security updates. So again, IPv6, that's what we're talking about. The security analyst is reviewing the IPv6 address scheme for a new network segment. Notice that several devices have addresses starting with FE80. What is the security concern associated? 
And the answer is C, the devices are likely to be rogue or unauthorized. So FEE 80 are link local addresses in IPv6 and are automatically assigned to the network interfaces. They are not only valid within the same local network, typically just a single switch or a small subnet. These devices are linked local and cannot be directly routed from the outside to the local network. So the bottom line is if you see a couple of these set up, then it's odds are high there might be a rogue um, network something going on, right? You might have an, uh, a rogue, rogue IP address, could be a, de- a device that's on the network that shouldn't be there. Just something to kind of consider. Question 11, what is the primary purpose of a class E IP address? A, large networks. B, experimental testing. C, multicast group membership. D, small networks. What is the primary purpose of a class E IP address? And the answer is B, experimental testing. Again, class E's are reserved for experimental and research purposes only. In IPv6, what is the network, the subnetting equivalent to the address 2001 colon a lot of words. We'll go an octet for another octet, another octet, another octet, multiple octets, because we're dealing with IPv6, right? Slash 64. What is the subnetting equivalent to address this? And it is A, 48. A is slash 48. B, slash 56. C, slash 72. Or D, slash 64. And obviously the answer is C or D slash 64. Okay. Cider notation is often obviously required as slash N, whatever the N number is, a number of bits. And the slash 64 in this situation with this IPv6 address means it is a slash 64. Question 13. Which ICMP type is commonly associated with ICMP flood attacks causing denial of service? A, echo requests and reply. B, destination unreachable. C, redirect message or D, time exceeded. Which ICMP type is commonly associated with ICMP floods, attacks causing denial of service? And the answer is A, echo requests and replies. We talked about the ping, it's basically a ping flood. ICMP flood attacks are when you're trying to do an echo request or reply, you'll get a ping flood, which will fill up the bandwidth on the network. Question 14. How does CIDR improve address allocation compared to traditional class-based addressing? How does CIDR improve address allocation compared to traditional class-based addressing? A, by allocating large address space. B, by enforcing strict class boundaries. C, by simplifying or the subnetting. Or D, by allowing flexible address allocation. So how does a CIDR improve address allocation compared to traditional class-based addresses? And the answer is D, by allowing flexible address allocation. Okay, CIDR introduces flexible and IP address allocation by allowing variable link subnetting. Unlike the traditional class-based addresses, it does not enforce strict class boundaries. Basically, it doesn't force them to stay within your class A, B, C, or D. This enables organizations to allocate addresses based on their specific needs, reducing address wastage. That's a New term that I did not know, wastage, and optimizing resource utilization. Okay, last question. Which IP address range falls under class B? 192.0.0.0, and Okay, so I gotta actually I gotta give you the rest of it. 192.0.0.0.223.255. 128.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.
Which IP address falls under a class B? And we know the class B is B, 128.0 to 191.255. Goes up to 192, because 192, once you get into that, it is a class C. So 128 to 191.255. That is the range for a class B. Okay, again, this is for a medium-sized network. And again, this is IPv4, not IPv6. Correct. All right, that's all I've got for you today. I hope you guys have a wonderful day, a wonderful week, and we will catch you on the flip side. See ya. Thanks so much for listening today, as it was my pleasure to prep you for the CISSP exam. But are you interested in some free CISSP exam questions? Head on over to CISSPQuestions.com and sign up to join my email list and you will gain access to 30 free CISSP questions each and every month. That's a total of 360 questions just for signing up with CISSP Cyber Training. You will also gain access to other free resources, so just head on over to FreeCISSPQuestions.com or CISSPCyberTraining.com and sign up today. All right, have a wonderful day, and we'll catch you on the flip side. See you.